Father, we just pray for all of our IMB missionaries that are scattered all over the world. Father, we pray for um, your strength and your energy to be with them through this holiday season. Lord, we pray specifically for our friends in North Africa who are laboring for the gospel. We pray for the church that is starting there, that you would... uh, that you would build it into a great and mighty kingdom for your name and your glory in that nation and throughout North Africa. And we pray, Father, for um, this meeting on the 23rd, that, the, that these, these men and women would gather together under the name of Christ um, and that they would see this as a significant um, time in their life when they... And they begin to do the work that you have called them to. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for Emery's baptism this morning and declaring her faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'm a little overwhelmed at uh, what I've seen this morning. It's, it's amazing to see the kingdom of God at work. It is time for Children's Church. Miss Abby will take our kids this morning. <clears throat> I think today is uh, the parents' night out day, and so I think they're having a Christmas party all day. If you are wanting to do that, you can sign up your child for that today as uh, they do that and they leave. But I'm overwhelmed with uh, God's, <clears throat> God's kingdom and what he's doing around the world and uh, just even seeing uh, my friend's faces on the screen reminds me of what God is doing even through his church. Did you know that a tenth of every dollar that you give to Northwest goes towards the cooperative program, which a portion of that goes towards directly towards our IMB missionaries. So roughly $110,000 a year uh, we send to support IMB missionaries. The Lottie Moon Fund, which David was talking about, is in addition to that. And if you're wanting to give to the Lottie Moon Fund, that goes directly towards our International Mission Board missionaries across the world, in which Gary mentioned, that pays for their salary and their ability to plant churches in Muslim nations. Well, it is Christmas time and we begin our Christmas series maybe a little bit later than we all had imagined, but you will love what we have in store for you today. We've entitled our Christmas series, The Gift, and um, I want to start off the series um, thinking about the greatest gift that you have ever received. So I want you to put in your mind... The greatest gift that you ever received, to take out your, your, your Rolodex and look back to one Christmas that you got the perfect gift. And I want you to think about that for a minute and put it in your mind. Hopefully I've given you enough time to have it. For me, it was sixth grade and I got what was a trampoline. And my parents surprised us with this unexpected large gift of a trampoline outside our uh, window. And, And I thought to myself, wow, 
this is really extraordinary for my parents to give us this extremely large gift. Now I want you to think about that gift that you received. So in my case, it was the trampoline. Do you still have the gift? Maybe you do, okay? But for me, that, rest, that trampoline rusted out and it ripped the fabric into, and it is no longer with us. Praise the Lord that we have a gift that lasts forever. Amen? Praise the Lord that the greatest gift of all we will spend with God in eternity with Him. We're reminded every Christmas when we exchange gifts that God has given us the ultimate gift of Himself. Emmanuel, God with us. So when we come to this Christmas season, as we study these Verses on gifts and gift giving and understanding Christ as the gift. We are reminded that a baby who is born in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is a gift to humanity. The gift that the Messiah has come. We sang it this morning. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen? So we start our series in Psalm 68. Not where you thought we would start, right? But it is the Psalm of David, a Psalm of victory. And that, that is what is happening when God comes to the earth. It is he is declaring that the kingdom of God has come down from heaven to earth. It is a declaration of the victory of God over Satan and death. Amen? The declaration of God's victory. And this psalm is a psalm of victory. It begins with the words in Psalms chapter 68, verse 1. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. Now, you think to yourself, what is he talking about in this psalm? Well, it's interesting enough, this psalm is in reference to the days of Moses when the Ark of the Covenant would go before the people into battle. You probably remember the story of Israel leaving Mount Sinai and eventually entering into the promised land. And each place they would stop and they would set up the tabernacle. The mobile temple, if you will, in which the presence of God with his people as they placed the Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle. And this psalm refers us back to the moment that they were to get up from the place that they were resting and declare these words. This is what Numbers chapter 10 verse 35 declares And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, 
Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So this psalm is referring us back to the days of Moses when he would declare, when the Ark of the Covenant would get up to move, Moses would declare, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Probably a good declaration in the morning when you get up, right? Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. The psalmist is looking backwards to what God did, taking his people from Sinai and being with them as they entered into the promised land. Remember, they walked the Ark of the Covenant around the walls of Jericho, and the presence of God crushed the walls of Jericho as they came tumbling down. But it's not only looking backwards to what God did as the Psalm of David, as he writes this, but it's looking forward as well. When salvation is consummated and the divine warrior brings with him the people of God in his train. And what do the people of God do having been granted deliverance and salvation? Guess what? They bring gifts. To the king. It's an incredible text of scripture. I'm excited to preach it to you this morning. During the Christmas story, I can recall a story about some kings or some wise men bringing gifts and presenting them before a king. Can you? So this is the victorious king is given gifts. Psalm chapter 68 verse 17. Let's look at it together in Psalm chapter 68. The whole chapter is incredible. I hope you read it as you prepared for the service this morning. If you'll stand with me in reading of God's word, we'll read 17 through 21 together. The victorious king is given gifts. Let us arise because the Lord is with us. <clears throat> All right. Verse 17, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. You can be seated. This morning, let's pray. Father, we, we ask that as we open up this psalm of David, this psalm of victory, that a victory would rejoice in our heart at your coming. Lord, we thank you that you are victorious 
and you lead us into victory. May we present the gifts that we have unto you, the King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've ever done uh, a test called the Five Love Languages Test, you should. If you haven't read the book, you probably should as well. It, it shows how someone gives and receives love. So if you're, if you're married, I would highly encourage you, encourage you to know how your spouse receives love. And I would encourage you to know how you receive. Often you give love in the same way in which you receive love. And sometimes you can be giving and giving and giving. And the other person is like, I didn't even feel loved at all. And so understanding these concepts of five love languages helps in understanding how to give and receive love. But there are five love languages in which someone gives and receives love. Um, the, the, the book assigns them five different ways. Number one, words of affirmation. That's just telling people how great they are, encouraging them using your words. Number two, acts of service. That's, that's doing things for people. That's, that's doing the laundry or cooking or cleaning, or maybe, maybe it's, it's serving them by filling up the car or washing their car or doing something else for someone else. Acts of service. Number three, receiving gifts. Some people receive love by receiving gifts. Isn't that interesting? Uh, somebody giving a gift in order to show their love for someone else. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, number four, quality time. That's, that's just essentially, that's spending time with someone. That is a way people receive or uh, love and the last one is physical touch. Doesn't have to be sexual. It can be just just a hug or or holding of hands or or or, or a kiss or or whatever that may be. That is physical touch. They receive love in in that way. Everybody's love language is different. So, for instance, if if someone doesn't have a high act of service. Um, uh, Rob, their spouse could do be doing all these things, and the person is like, why aren't we spending time together? Right? And so I'm going to give you my breakdown of my love languages just so you know where, where I stand, okay? Uh, <laughs> number one, words of affirmation. 33% of my love language is words of affirmation. That is number one on my list. Right behind it, 27%. Is physical touch, okay? So, uh, and number three, right behind that, 23% is receiving gifts. So I'm a, I'm a receiver of gifts. Number, number four, 13% quality time. And number five, the last but not least, acts of service, 3%. So uh, <coughs> um, I think my wife is number one acts of service. So you can see how sometimes that that misses. Uh, Oftentimes how you receive gifts is often how you give the gifts. But let let me talk about the receiver of gifts. If that's you, 
you like people to think about you, right? You like people to sacrifice their money or their time or their effort or their thought process in order to give you something. And it could be anything. It could be a handwritten note. It could be a, a, a handcrafted ornament. It doesn't have to be something large. Gift, gift receivers don't have to have a, a car for, for Christmas. They just need to be thought about. You don't want to miss these people's birthday, do you? No, you do not. Could be disastrous, Okay. So in turn, uh, the person who re- likes to receive gifts is often a gift giver. They often spend time out of their, their allotted time to give gifts. And God has uniquely, as a way to show him love, he declares that we are to offer to him Gifts. Isn't that interesting? And one of the ways in which we, as the people of God, actually respond to the gift of the gospel. So not only does he give gifts, but he receives gifts is by us as the people of God laying our talents and treasures at the feet of Jesus. So ultimately, we lay down our life to the King, who in turn takes our life and makes it useful for building His kingdom. Isn't this interesting? The gift of Christ himself is received by us, God's people, who in turn give the gift of our life unto God. Because he has, what, granted us salvation, delivering us from death. What a picture. God's people understand the love language of gift giving. And Psalm 68 helps us to understand the greatest gift of God himself. So let's look at the text, verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. This is where we get our first point this morning. It's thus. The Lord comes to dwell among his people. Now, there's a lot going on in this psalm. I, I, I showed you how the Ark of the Covenant is involved. The presence of God is involved in this psalm. The dwelling place of God among man is involved. And he is, David is recounting God's faithfulness to dwell amidst an unfaithful people Israel, arise, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. In verse 16, let me read it for you. 
Why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mountain of God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. In verse 15, he's talking about this many peaked mountain, which is the mountain of Bashan. If you've ever heard of the Golan Heights, it's the mountain of Bashan, these Golden Heights, these beautiful mountains, these expressive mountains, these huge mountains on the edge of Israel. And (coughs) they're looking at Mount Zion with envy, the mountain of God with envy. Why? Because God now dwells on Zion in Jerusalem. So God is, is, David is is making this play on words as you have this huge mountain and it's looking at this small mountain with envy. Why? Because God has placed his dwelling place there. Boy, doesn't, doesn't the world, doesn't the world sometimes look at the church with envy? Even, even though sometimes the world seems to have all of these things. God has placed his dwelling place upon his church. And now he declares, the Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. What does he mean by this? Sinai is now in the sanctuary. God revealed himself on Sinai. Remember, he came down in this this cloud of fire and, and shook the mountain of Sinai, declaring himself to be a covenant people with Israel. We've talked about that back in Exodus that we actually looked at that passage. But God declared himself to be upon his people in Sinai, giving them the law. And now God dwells in his tabernacle, eventually will be his temple in Jerusalem, and ultimately in the new Jerusalem. Right now he dwells in the Holy Spirit in his church. So Sinai is now in the sanctuary, meaning the God who dwelt among men at Sinai, who came down to reveal himself to a people in Israel, is now in his sanctuary in Jerusalem. On Mount Zion. Last week, remember, we, we, we talked about the dedication of the temple. And Solomon built this beautiful structure. And the cloud filled the temple. God declared himself to be among his people. In the same way, in the days of Moses, when the pillar of fire would lead God's people. And the cloud by day After they built this tabernacle, the cloud came to rest upon the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubims, and then was placed in the Holy of Holies. So the the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, leading God's people, the temple, all of these themes coming together right here in Psalm 68, the the. The chariots of God, the throne room of God, now coming among his people in, where? On the Temple Mount Zion. And now we understand all of these things happening to point us to Christ. Why? 
Because Christ would come to tabernacle among men. This is what it, John says, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh, speaking of the Word who was God and was with God, became flesh and dwelt among men. That word dwelt in John chapter 1, verse 14, it means he tabernacled. The literal translation is he tabernacled. He dwelt as if he was in Sinai when he came to dwell among the people in the days of Moses when he tabernacled among them. Jesus now is tabernacling among men in the flesh. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It would be Emmanuel, God with us. The baby would be born in Bethlehem as he would be the divine warrior who would defeat his enemies of sin, death, and Satan itself. So God in flesh coming among men. Luke 2, 8 through 14, it is the Christmas season, so we've got to understand this, right? So here we go. Luke 2, 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel of a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. God, in his tabernacle in heaven, came down to tabernacle among us. Isn't that beautiful? It's the beautiful picture in which he's talking about here. The chariots of God, the thousands upon thousands, the Lord among them, Sinai is now in the sanctuary. So then we get to verse 18, and this is where we understand uh, the, the, the series on the gift and why this is in this, in this passage. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. And receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Amen? The Lord God dwells among those who follow him and offer gifts to him. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting passage David proclaims. This is our second point this morning. The Lord is victorious, receiving the spoils of victory. The Lord is victorious, receiving the spoils of victory. I I want you to think for a minute as David recalls this, this text. He's obviously thinking back to the days of Moses in which God came to dwell among his people, in which they 
they met the Lord at Sinai. But before they met the Lord at Sinai, God did something. He gave them salvation from the Egyptian slave masters. They were slaves in Egypt. God's people were oppressed during the days of Moses. We all know the story. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, right? So after the final plague and the blood of the Passover lamb protects God's people, what happens? God's people actually plunder the Egyptians. Meaning they take their gold, their silver, their clothing. Why? Because the Egyptians had enough after 10 plagues. God actually told Moses this was going to happen before it happened. This is what he says in Exodus 3.20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver, for gold jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians." That's what's happening here in verse 18. You have this conquering king. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. So this conquering king is not only releasing captives who are now following him, but those people are are laying down their gifts before the king. And you have this strange cross-reference that Paul actually references back to Psalm 68. Ephesians 4, verse 7. We'll talk about this next week. This will be our text next week. But it says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let me repeat that. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to his gift of himself upon the cross, grace was giving to you. Therefore, it says, we ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So Paul actually reverses this in Psalm 68, it says that he receives gifts among men. But Ephesians 4 says he gives gifts to men. So which one is it, Paul? Is it Psalm 68? Are you referring to Christ in Psalm 68? Or is it something different here? What are you talking about? Why are you saying now he's giving gifts when he was, when in Psalm 68, David says he's receiving gifts? Where does he get that? Well, if we understand the Psalm of David correctly, we're talking about God receiving the plunder from the victory of of Israel over Egypt. And what does Israel do with the plunder that they give unto the Lord? 
First, they bring it up the mountain to Sinai, and then God distributes it to do what? To build the tabernacle. So God receives gifts from men, the plunder of Egypt, in which he gives back to men to build the tabernacle, his dwelling place. So all the the rings and the gold jewelry and the silver that were given to the, the, the captives is now given unto God who then distributes it back to them to build his dwelling place. So Paul is explaining this by showing how God works. And now he relates these spiritual gifts in Ephesians to building God's church. So, so if, you're, if you're thoroughly confused, that's okay. We're going to define it now. The people built the tabernacle through the free will offerings that they gave unto God. So the pattern is exemplified. David will stockpile the wealth of the nations for Solomon to ultimately construct the temple. And now, in today, God makes the liberated captives, that's us, the construction materials for the new dwelling place of God, the church. So the way in which God will work is Christ will conquer death, sin, and Satan. He will lead the procession of those who were once in bondage, and they freely offering their life, to the king and out of them Christ will build his church giving them spiritual gifts to build it so in essence God will build his kingdom through the plunder of the enemy and guess what that's you your the precious jewels that God has won back from Satan himself. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, and he does that through those he has won from Satan and from death. Let me read for you Ephesians chapter 2, which precludes Ephesians 4 as a picture of the victorious warrior who wins you back. Let me read it to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who are you, a follower? The enemy of God, follower of Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. We were citizens of Satan's kingdom, living under tyranny and slavery of sin, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God took sinners as those who would receive God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ in order that they receive the gift in order to give the gift of themselves to the Lord to build his church so that he would dwell there. Amen? These are incredible truths flowing out from the gift of Christ, we ourselves receive that gift, we understand that gift, and we offer our life unto the King eternal, giving him our gifts, whatever talents, abilities we have for the glory of the Lord, because he's worthy of our gifts. That is an incredible, that is an incredible truth. The gift of Christ now makes us a gift giver unto the king. And God actually takes our gifts and he supercharges them with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we get the spiritual gifts to build his church. All right. So, We're going to get into spiritual gifts in the new year. I'm excited about it. This is great. All right. So we're excited about this. But let's go to verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. He holds us up. He he carries us. He's the one that carries us up. He, he, He carries us up the mountain. That's exactly what the Lord does who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. We could not make it. Our God is our salvation, and to God the Lord belongs. Deliverance from death. I can't make it more clear than that. He delivered us from death. Why? By dying on the cross for us. But God will strike the heads of his enemies. That's Genesis 3 language. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. We've talked about that throughout the Old Testament, right there. But God will strike the head of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. I don't know why it says hairy crown, but isn't that funny? 
probably just referring to the flesh, the man-centered crown. The hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. Praise God that we have a deliverer from our guilt and our shame. This is point number three this morning. The Lord delivers people from death. The Lord delivers his people from death. You are delivered from separation, from the wrath of God, from eternal damnation. The fires of hell. You are delivered from life without God. You see, the world and Satan and the power of Satan, the authority of Satan, the kingdom of Satan, he has given what? Death. Yet Christ conquered death by raising from the dead. Therefore, you will be raised from the dead too and be like Christ in the new Jerusalem where you will dwell with your new body forever. Isn't that amazing? The truth of the scripture, the God of salvation who delivers from death, all the language screaming, the king who ascended is Christ. He ascended. He sits at the right hand. He ascended from the grave. He ascended and he sits at the right hand of God. So ultimately, the baby born would be the divine warrior defeating Satan, delivering God's people from death, leading them in his train to the Mount of Zion, the eternal dwelling place, the new Jerusalem. So David is not only looking back, but he's looking forward to the Christ, the coming one, the the righteous who died for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Many in the world ask this question, why do Christians give their life to Christ? Why, why do they freely give of themselves to, for this gospel? How can this couple that we saw on the screen leave their Oklahoma family and go to a place in which they do not accept Christ as Lord? to a place where they do not have a known church, to a place where if they knew what they were doing, they would be kicked out of the country. Because they understand the gift that God has given to them. And we freely as Christians offer our incomparably small gifts back to the Lord with joy because we understand the gift that God has given to us. You see this pattern? God gives the gift, we give back what gifts we have. And it begins at the birth of Christ, right? The wise men from the east, what do they do? 
they come to see the newborn king. What do they offer him? Their gifts. Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasure, they offer him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The king came. God's people worshiped and then offered their gifts. That's what we are meant to do. In verse 29 of Psalm 68, because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. God comes to dwell among people. It's natural for them to give gifts to the king. The king has come. He has delivered you from captivity, from bondage, and from death. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be praised. So my question to you this morning is, do you cherish the gift that he has given upon the cross? Are you willing to offer your life as an offering, as small gifts unto him? Because he wants to use you to build his church so what do you have to offer the King of kings and Lord of lords? My encouragement to you, church, is to see what you have. Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it the ability to go overseas? Is it the ability to serve in the nursery? Is it ability to spend time sharing the gospel with your coworkers, what is it that you have? Do you have the ability to teach? Do you have the ability to lead? Do you have the ability to open your home? What is it that God is calling you to give back because of the great gift that God has given to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the victorious king who has given gifts. We are overwhelmed and stand in awe at the great gift of the life of Christ that he gave to us upon the cross. We are overwhelmed, Father, that you want to use what small gifts that we have for your kingdom, for your glory. And Lord, we thank you for each and every person in this room that they live a life that is pleasing unto you, that they offer their body, their life, their whole being as an offering unto you. Lord, give us dreams and visions about what you want us to do. Give us a heart that seeks after the things of God. Lord, we thank you for this morning.
the great gift as we're reminded during this Christmas season of you coming from heaven to earth. Lord, we ask that we as your people would respond to the great gift by our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is the time for response. If you'll stand with me. We're going to respond to the Lord in prayer before we sing. And uh, I, I think that we should respond in prayer unto the Lord. Not only thanking him for his inexpressible gift, but also asking him what he may want us to give to him in return. So let's do that for a moment before we worship and praise the Lord our God.